Hello, welcome to PMQ Learning Outcome 9. And in this session, we're going to look at project procurement. Project procurement. So we're going to have a look at uh, the procurement strategy. We're going to look at its contents and its purpose. We're going to have a look at different methods of reimbursing suppliers in a contractual relationship. Uh, we're going to look at uh, different types of contractual relationships. And we're going to look at a supplier selection process. So let's start by looking at the procurement strategy. What is a procurement strategy and why do we need one? Well, the procurement strategy or a procurement management plan, if you prefer, so the strategy is documented in the plan, part of the PMP, this sets out at high level our approach to getting the goods and services we need for successful completion of the project. You know, we avoid just making it up as we go along. Uh, the procurement management strategy will include many things which we'll look at, but it's informed, constrained, guided by the organisational policy. There might be a policy, for example, to bring everything in-house and only put out the lower uh, value, or there might be a policy to outsource everything. So the policy drives it. Um, but the other question that we probably want to consider um, is who's taking the risk in this? So, you know, we might be a very risk-averse organisation and we want the suppliers to take all of the risk. Or we might be a risk-seeking organisation and we see that by taking risk we get serious advantage over our competitors. So again, where is the risk in this relationship? And then what kind of relationship do we want? Do we want a partnering relationship that's going to go on for many, many years? Or is this simply transactional where we uh, put a, a tender out and we uh, place the contract and we deliver or we get it delivered and that's the end of the relationship and we're not really bothered about anything beyond that. So a number of things to consider. Um, what can we do? What do we want to do? Organisational strategy. How much risk do we take and who takes that risk? And what kind of relationship do we want? And the procurement strategy would, would need to consider these. But let's be specific and see what the contents are. So do we make or buy? Do we outsource or do we bring in-house? Uh, or do we split that? And, and if so, what's our strategy for doing that? Um, there might be te technical complexity, which means that we can do it in-house, but there are no suppliers out there that can do it. Or it might be high quality, in which case there might be suppliers that can provide that quality, but maybe we don't have the experience, the capacity or the, or the capability to do that. So a number of things would, would help us make that decision of whether we um, make it ourselves or buy it in. Obviously, making it from scratch, a bespoke item, uh, carries with it much higher risk than buying something, for example, off the shelf, which has already been produced and proven. Um, another component, if you like, or, or, or section in the procurement management strategy um, is uh, what kind of relationship do we want with the supply chain. So do we want a single supplier that we work with who either does all the work themselves or engages all the subcontractors? So a one-stop shop whereby, in a sense, we leave all the admin and the progress chasing and all the problems to this one supplier who will charge a management premium but take many headaches away from us. Or do we go out for multiple suppliers where we engage all the contractors ourselves and take the risk of perhaps interfaces 
um, and one defaulting, which may then delay the work of another one. So, and have we got the experience to manage that? So, two, two things that we want to consider. For some projects, we look at things like an integrated approach. And this is where um, we might have a, a joint venture uh, where a number of suppliers uh, pool their resources together and um, they come along and bid for a piece of work as a consortium and share the work out. So huge capability and capacity, but obviously um, only set up for winning certain types of contracts. Um, then, of course, the relationship itself, uh, as we live with the contractor or the client, depending on who we are, do we want a truly collaborative one um, or is it more transactional? Um, what about how we select our suppliers? Have we got an approved vendor list? Can we go single source or do we have to go to competitive tendering? Or is there a certain threshold at which we need to go to competitive tendering? So how do we select our suppliers and award a contract? So again, that needs to be considered. A lot of this is, as we said, driven by policy. And then, of course, we've got the, 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 the small print, the conditions of contract. Um, what kind of contract are we going to use? And what are the words within that contract? Are we using a standard off-the-shelf contract? So one we've used before, or an industry standard? Um, or are we creating our own unique um, set of terms and conditions for this particular transaction? And then, not really last or least, but uh, another component here is the way that we'll do the reimbursement, the, the pricing and the payment methods there. So are we going to pay a lump sum at the end or are we going to give milestone payments? There's many ways this can be done. And again, this is all about risk and incentive. So all these things individually um, are important, but put them together and they make up the procurement management strategy. One of the components of a procurement management strategy is the supplier reimbursement or payment mechanisms. And there are a number of different models we can use. So the model that protects the client from runaway costs is the fixed price or lump sum. So this might be paid during milestones or at the end of the project, but it is fixed. It will not change unless there's a variation. This allows, of course, the client, those who are funding the project, to commit those costs, know exactly what it will cost at the end of the day, and to forecast with certainty. But what it does do, it pushes the uncertainty, in terms of actually how much it will cost to produce, back onto the supplier, who may, of course, build in contingency where they believe there's risk. So the client may pay a little more if they force a supplier to the fixed price, but it does certainly protect them. The other end of the spectrum is to have a cost plus. So this is where we just pay the supplier for the work they do. And this, of course, could be open-ended. So it's a high-risk strategy for the, for the client because they don't know when things will end and how much it will cost. But, of course, it does help the supplier because the supplier knows, although they may not be making the same margins as in a fixed price, it's safer for them because they get they are guaranteed to get paid on a regular basis for the work they've done. 
So this is, this is a high risk to the client, low risk to the supplier. And where would you use this? Um, it doesn't sound like a, a great idea for a client, but you may have to use it where the scope is not yet nailed down, where there's uncertainty. And we're really starting the project maybe for you know, strategic reasons when we haven't really worked out what we're doing. Or for a service within a project. So we might be building um, you know, factories and we want to bring in a cleaning company to help us as we're um, building the factory. And we don't know how many hours they're going to have to do. So we may have to pay them on this ongoing basis. Um, one sort of uh, way of protecting the client and the supplier where we can is to use a unit pricing model. So this is where we can price up certain uh, agreed components of the project, uh, but we don't know how many components there will be. So one example would be um, we have got a project to train uh, the organization over perhaps a, a year or two. And so we engage a training company and we don't know how many training courses we're going to run. So we have no idea how much work we're going to give them, but we do fix the price of each training course. So that means that the client um, understands how much it will cost for each training course so they can budget accordingly and they can forecast. And when they run out of money, they can stop the training. And the supplier knows exactly how much they will get for each day, weeks, months worth of work. So that kind of protects both parties in certain circumstances. Target pricing. This is where we set ourselves a challenge. Um, both the supplier and the client collaborate, work closely together, and it does require a change of culture, and we set a target. And if we hit the target, we both gain. If we beat the target, we gain a bit more. So for example, the supplier might get more profit or better cash flow terms. Whereas if we miss the target, we lose a little, and the supplier maybe makes less money. And then the last uh, one that we're talking about here is where the supplier funds the project, the capital build of the project. So a kind of PFI type of arrangement here. So let's say there's a government and they want a new nuclear power station and they cannot afford to build it and pay for it themselves. So what they do is they get the supplier, the contractor, um, who may well form a consortium, may find you know, financing arrangements sitting behind the contractor, but the contractor will build it with no cost to the customer. But then they will manage that service, so that might be in a power station, the price of electricity. It might be a bridge perhaps that's built and there's a toll on the bridge and the toll pays the contractor back perhaps over many years. So it's sort of have it now for free, but pay later. And, and that's a, a solution in, in many cases. In terms of the contractual relationship, um, we have a scale really here, and I think we've been sort of talking about this all along, from collaborative, where we tend to see the higher value, higher risk projects, where working together just makes sense, right the way through to these um, perhaps simpler projects of lower value, which are much more transactional. You know, we go out, we buy something, we pay, and job's done rather than being linked. So there's a scale, really, of the kind of relationship. So, so how do we want that to work? Um, and that needs some serious thought before we start entering into these contracts. So just to summarise, then, different types of approaches. 
from a single contractor, a prime or principal contractor, right the way through down to a sequence of contracts or all the contractors working on site together at the same time with all the inherent risk that that uh, has for us. And the question is, you know, do we want to manage that? Do we have the capacity and the capability to manage that? Or are we better off putting it into the hands of a, an expert who take it away and manage it for us? We'll pay more because we'll pay a management fee, but we may incur less risk, or we may prefer to take it on ourselves, save the money, um, and you know, gain the advantage that way. Um, partnering, alliancing, um, again, working together for those more strategic types of projects. I'd recommend that if you're studying for the exam, you go and read these up in a bit more detail. There's, there's a little bit behind some of these terms um, in the Provec um, book. So we talked about supplier relationships, but how do we actually find our suppliers and engage our suppliers? And one way is through competitive tendering. So there's a process, as you might expect. Uh, again, there's a lot more detail in the Provec book, but if we take it through at the top level, there's usually a pre-qualification phase. So this is where there might be multiple suppliers out there who all express an interest and would be willing to bid for the piece of work. But clearly we do not want to engage, you know, 10, 30, 100 suppliers because the procurement process will be just so involved and uh, resource heavy. So what we need to do is thin the crowd out a little bit here. And the pre-qualification usually consists of a, a questionnaire, some mostly online these days, and the suppliers, the would-be suppliers, would uh, complete the questionnaire, which would ask certain questions about, you know, um, the business, who owns the business, how many people you've got, what experience you've got, um, maybe how much cash you've got in the bank, uh, the stability of the organisation, your health and safety records, those kind of things. So the pre-qualification would come back and then we would down-select to a smaller number for tendering. And we would structure our tender. It would be structured around what we want. Often tenders would be um, considered in two parts, a commercial part with the contractual conditions and the pricing, and then a more technical response. In other words, what solution are we offering there? And the tender will be put together with a marking scheme and that will be sent out to the uh, would-be uh, 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 suppliers. They would respond, send their bids back in, usually in, in, in a sort of sealed form, and then if it's been done in as a commercial and technical part, the two parts will be taken apart and scrutinised and marked separately to avoid any bias, put back together, and then the, the one that has the highest score um, would then be invited for a negotiation and the negotiation would make sure that there was clarity um, and the most value was gained out of the contract and there was a relationship to be had there and no nasty surprises. And then once that negotiation was complete, there would be a contract put in place and the contractor would then go off and deliver the project according to the, uh, the small print in the contract.